Coming to you raw and unscripted. Beaming across Ontario and beyond. To places like Grand Bend, Port Colborne, Balm Beach and Sybil Point. This is the Real Hickson Real Estate Podcast. Whether you're listening on your commute or putting on your suit, whether it's your morning stroll or you're on patrol, you just finished prayer or drop the kids at daycare, you're in the bar, your car, or listening with a bathroom door ajar, near or far, this is the Jess and Jero Show. We're grateful for flattery and prone to inaccuracies. This is your guide to Toronto culture, people, events, news, but most importantly, real estate talk. Yes, hello guys, and I'm sure you might have noticed if you didn't skip the start. I called out all of the beach towns that I've been looking into recently. I think I've been sleeping on them. I think a few people have been sleeping on telling me about them. I love all these little places. There's the obvious ones with Sega Beach and all that kind of stuff, but there are tons and tons of little beach towns all around Ontario amongst the different lakes. And I've been, uh, we've been checking them out. Last summer, this summer, I'm back into it again. Anyways, I'm loving that. Welcome back to a very summary episode, guys. Um, I am by myself today here, guys. I am here today doing the Toronto Survival Guide to Rentals. Jess is out in cottage country. Uh, I'm here, it's been so busy this market and I'm gonna get to all the uh, the news and kind of the information for you guys. Uh, But we are very sorry we haven't done one in like over a month or two. Um, We are back, I'm back doing it by myself and uh, we're gonna get into it. So basically what's going on right now? A lot has changed since our last podcast when I was predicting a hot market and guess what? Predictions came true. If you don't believe me, go back and see what I was saying. It's, It's very busy, very, very busy. I feel like it was a slightly late um, market this spring. Usually, or in the previous couple of years, it was starting a little bit earlier, February and March. And there was some activity, but it really didn't pick up till kind of March, April. And now we're seeing everything full force. We are seeing multiple offers on, you know, a lot of freehold properties, uh, detached, semi, even the luxury market is, is moving and grooving. Um, townhouses are the same. The only thing uh, that's a little bit slower is the condo market, but I'll get to what's going to be happening with the condo market in just a little bit. Um, the stats just came out. We have seen three months of rising prices, and guess what has always been the issue? Lack of inventory. I mean, they are really working hard. The government is implementing some stuff now to change all of that. These things are going to take time, though. So we are still seeing that lack of inventory and a few other factors. Basically, Toronto is the place. The secret is well and truly out. Everyone's coming here and tech is coming here, business is coming here, people with good jobs. But I'll get into that in all of a second. Um, In the immigration, we are seeing, we're still the fastest growing G7 nation. In 2022, we saw a million people moving here and they're predicting that again. Now that's fine. But what the, what the issue in Canada is, we really don't have a lot of major cities to spread everyone out. And it's not even that. There are plenty of fantastic, beautiful places to live across Canada. 
it just so happens that everyone wants to live practically in the same place, uh, which makes sense for jobs and for moving to, to similar communities and moving close to family. I mean, that all makes sense. There is definitely a shift in the pandemic, as we've talked about before, in terms of people um, reconsidering their lifestyles, moving, moving out um, into province and really um, thinking newly in, an, in a new new way about their lifestyle and, and maybe how they work, uh, particularly when they want to work from home. Um, but yeah, guys, we are still seeing this great country um, that I choose to call home just really, really picking up in interest. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So we saw inflation reversing a little bit. We have been really nicely dropping inflation over the last few months. Um, we had a little uptick. I mean, it's basically level uh, between last month and this month, but it was enough to make the Bank of Canada and the policymakers maybe rethink what's going on here and really look at the numbers a lot closer. Um, so in terms of what's going to happen with interest rates, and this is secondhand information that I'm getting talking to, to mortgage agents, um, worst case, worst case, by kind of fall this year, we may see a slight rise in interest rates. Again, most likely it's gonna be a hold. The most likely case it's we're just gonna hold interest rates. The best case we're gonna get is um, maybe a 0.25 or a half a percentage drop by fall. That is the absolute best case. But again, it's most likely gonna hold. Um, in saying that, if you are looking to renew or refinance in any case, the, the lending rates are actually cheaper than they were last October comparing to then. So I, the best advice I can give is just always to chat to your mortgage broker within a few months uh, of your, your mortgage coming up and uh, then just figure out kind of the best thing you can do. If you're hurting guys, and I, and I get it, some people out there may be hurting a little bit with uh, rising costs and rising interest rates. There are options to potentially pull money out or extend what you currently have. Um, and just make your, at the end of the day, just make your monthly carry just that bit more uh, palatable uh, because that's what we're starting to see. Now, just remember this guys, if you compare Canada to the US, for example, our default rate is so low and it does happen and it, we are seeing cases of it happening in, in every market where we're seeing a hangover from, from really high prices and, and high interest rates. We, we do see these defaults here and there, but fortunately for us, the stress tests are there, these lenders are strict, and uh, it really prevents a lot of the issues that, for example, America may see in some of these, in some of these markets. Okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna get to the main topic of today, which is rentals. Now, the report and this on the market report is that rentals are actually, in my opinion, taking a breath. We've seen a nonstop steamroller of constant immigration and demand since around summer last year, when things really started picking up. And well into kind of this year, June 1st was a very, very big move date that we noticed. And Jess and I have done multiple, multiple leases this year, a lot more than we've ever done. And, and it's really just, getting tougher and tougher for tenants. Now, this is the topic. How do you survive in a tough renters market? Let's give it some context. 2020 was one of the best markets, the best rental markets for renters. 
Now, people moved out of Toronto, so it really didn't matter to a lot of people that were doing that. But for people that remained in the city for whatever reason, and you were able to remain in the city, you really were seeing some drops. You were seeing the same unit talking to your landlord. They were getting itchy feet about whether you would move or not, and they wouldn't be able to find a tenant for six or, or more months. You know, it was a very uncertain time. They were just giving discounts just straight off the rent. I was seeing deals where there was incentives, gift cards. There was there was TVs offered. It was insane. Like it was the funniest thing, and it was fantastic for my renters, and I loved it. But at the same time, people weren't moving here. Immigration was completely frozen, and people just saw the necessity to leave to get out of the city for whatever reason, or they made a smart money move where they moved back home or they moved to um, another rental further out. And I saw a pretty tough market, especially kind of up north, um, Newmarket, Aurora, Gwillenberry, all those areas, prices really actually went up because of the reason that everyone was getting out of the city, they wanted more bang for their buck, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So since summer of last year, as I mentioned, we saw a huge, huge influx of people um, and it's probably the worst and toughest market that I've seen, I've personally dealt with, um, and, and Jess may have dealt with in, in at least the last 10 years. Uh, we're talking the average one bedroom, 2,500 bucks a month. The average two bedroom is, is 3,000 or more at least. Now, this is con contrast to kind of before the pandemic and around the pandemic. We were averaging around $2,000 a month for a one bedroom. You know, and it, it's funny because at one point it used to be that downtown, you know, the more premium areas were a little bit more expensive. You move further out to Richmond Hill or Markham or Vaughan uh, or East or West and you were seeing kind of cheaper rents. But what what ended up happening was kind of everything was $2,000. Whether that's a mental thing, you know, that kind of that threshold price in the mind, because once you cross that, yeah, but the difference between 2200 2300 in the mind is probably not as big as, say, $1,900 um, going over 2000 So for whatever reason, that, that was kind of the standard. As I said, we're now seeing $500 on average more for a one-bedroom, two-bedroom. That's $6,000 a year, okay? And that's in an economy where, you know, inflation, rising grocery prices, uh, living prices, you know, it's it's tough. And um, I really do feel bad for people that get stuck in these positions. And I'm always trying to help people out and figure out solutions for people to kind of make things better for them. But at the end of the day, that's just this is just what it is. Um, we can't have prices dropping without the lack of demand, essentially. And that will come. You know, this is these are all cycles. Um, there are definitely softer rental markets. But right today, I'm going to be focusing on how do you focus and really learn to operate in this tough renter market. And of course, it, it's notably said I've worked on the landlord side as well. And I and Jess, Jess and I did a f quite a few landlord leases last year on the on the listing side. And, um, you know, it does go both ways, guys. We've had rentals where we've had multiple, multiple offers, hundreds of calls, you know, it's it's also on the agents as well. It's tough. It's tough on both sides to operate in this market. So so what are we seeing now? So we, we saw the hangover of people 
moving out in 2020. Okay, now we have the rush back in. Okay, so locals, the locals that moved out, as, as I mentioned, they're moving back. Now offices are asking workers to come back. Now, this is a huge thing that I, I had actually predicted, and you can go back and, and listen to what I was saying about this, but you know, now the offices have gone from a policy of, um, oh yeah, you can work at home forever, fantastic, to now, oh no, we need you to come in one day a week. Now we need you to come two days, three. This is a gradual, gradual process. Any Anything like this, government policies included, none of this tap happens quickly. Uh, because especially what was happening last year is early in the year. And I think for the most part, it did happen early this year too. But there was the great reset of people changing jobs. And a lot of employers that were saying, hey, you're going to be going back to the office. Some people were saying, no, you know what? I really enjoy this lifestyle. I love working from home. Um, now, maybe now I moved out. I bought something further out and there's just no way I can get back into the office. And these people were searching for new jobs. So we did have um, an employment crisis last year in favor of uh, employees. So we, we've obviously seen reverses in that, but that, that was basically making up the hangover. Now we see universities resuming in class. And of course, the pent up demand for immigrants coming back into the country, as I previously mentioned. And, and these aren't war-torn immigrants. These are immigrants coming here with good, well-paying jobs. I can say this because as I said, I've been on the listing side. I've seen who's coming here and I'm seeing them come with their employment letters, their funds, all that kind of stuff. The other thing I wanted to mention was um, the new 2018 rule has become more common than ever. Obviously, we're five years from 2018. And if you don't understand the 2018 rule, basically any rental property built before 2018, it had rent control in it. So basically every year, um, and it's to do with the CPI index, which is the consumer index uh, and affordability, there is a percentage set between one and 3%. Now this is posted every year and it's a, it's a guide. There are exceptions to it, but for the most part, as a landlord and you have a tenant in there right now, you can raise every one calendar year from your lease agreement. You can raise it that, you know, whatever percentage that, that is. For this year, it's actually 2.5%. Now, the opposite to that is, what is it? Well, it's no rent control. And so going back to the 2018, anything built from 2018 and forward basically allows the landlord to every calendar year raise the rent basically as much as they wanted. Now, at one point we always determined and it was common knowledge that we thought that it was only the first tenant to live in that unit. Now that to me kind of made sense. I deal with new buildings all the time. And in a lot of cases, uh, when these units are released, you know, some of the amenities aren't finished. Okay, the gym, the this and that. Usually the hallways are fine, the parking's done, the, the units are obviously finished and livable. But, but sometimes the other stuff, the other fun stuff, whether that matters to you or not, is not finished. And I get it. That makes sense why there would be a little bit of discount after that year. Now we're back to normal kind of rent because now the, the building is completely finished. Not only that, everything's brand spanking new. It makes sense to be able to raise that rent as kind of much as you want. Because at the end of the day, the rule is if you want to raise the rent, it has to be 90 days written notice, okay, before the end of uh, the, your, your term agreement. 
Now that leaves the tenant with 60 days notice. If they want to leave, they have to give their 60 days notice. So really it gives the tenant about a month, which is completely fair to say, okay, this rent is fine because now it's as much as anything else I'd go and get anyways. And I really like where I'm living or that's too much. Um, this guy's crazy or this girl's crazy. I'm going to leave. So that's fair. It gives you 30 days to think about it. And again, this rule was supposed to be just that first tenant. But now I'm hearing from multiple sources that it doesn't matter anymore and that every year the landlord can basically raise the rent. Now, if you compare this to other major cities, um, I can't really speak to any of them except for Sydney. Now, if you compare this to Sydney and in Australia, it's really tough. You only get really sometimes 30 days notice to leave. The landlord can raise the rent at any time. They keep a, a security deposit. It's, it's really a tough situation. We're kind of used to that. But in Toronto, fortunately, there are a lot of rights and responsibilities um, and protections for both tenants and landlords. At the end of the day, there are a lot of complaints from both sides. Um, and I think the landlord tenant board and other kind of um, corporations are doing quite well um, to, to keep that all together and to keep kind of everyone happy because it's, it's a very dynamic situation, a lot of gray areas, a lot of situations where um, people are doing rentals privately and, and it's really, it can be difficult to navigate. Now this next bit has to be said because a lot of landlords cop a lot of flack, especially in kind of poor economic markets where tenants really just look at landlords as the bad guys. And it, you know what guys, sure, there are some moguls out there with hundreds of properties and they're just trying to make money and, that, and that's it. But there are some other landlords, and I think I've said this once before, where they, they're trying to make ends meet as well. Not all landlords have multiple properties. Some have one property and you're in it. And in some instances, tenants are not paying rent and they're trashing places, unfortunately. And it really affects people's livelihoods. And at the end of the day, it's just important to remember that your landlords are people too, and they're trying to make money moves and they're trying to get ahead. And with these rising interest rates, they've been really, really hurting. So that's probably the other factor that's gone into this uh, rental market, as well as the increased demand, people coming back to the city is basically people have to try and make their mortgage. And there was a period where, uh, People were having positive um, cash flows on their income properties. It's actually becoming more increasingly rare that uh, that's not happening. And there is a certain amount of carry um, with with taxes. They're paying maintenance fees and, of course, these these mortgage repayments. So it's just important to remember that uh, your landlords are people, too. So what does a tough rental market look like? Okay, so we're seeing obviously higher prices. Um, sometimes rentals are going over asking, just like in sales when things are listed maybe a little bit lower or they're listed for what they want and they end up going over. The same things is happening in leases too. And in fact, I have been a part of and seen a bidding process for a lease and I kindly let the agent know that this is not good and this cannot happen and should not happen because tenants are already stretched and it's really just tough and frustrating to put them in that situation. Of course, 
the seller or the landlord and their agent are entitled to do whatever they want, but I just personally don't agree with it. Um, we are seeing um, leases quickly going now. I've been involved with um, a lot, and hopefully they're listening to this as well, with a lot of my clients and friends um, doing leases this year. And the one thing we definitely noticed, just like in previous markets, is these things are going quick. And I'm talking, let's pick four to six places to go. Maybe that place is unavailable. Now we've got five. If we're going next day or within a couple of days, maybe the weekend's coming up, we are seeing these places are leasing quickly and it can get very, very frustrating. Kind of tenants settling for a place as well um, kind of puts them in, in a tough situation. On top of that, high expectations of landlords. Now, I understand because I've been on the landlord side, you want someone that's gonna be paying the rent, um, a nice person, etc., etc. In the modern age, some of these expectations of landlords are quite high, especially for entry-level units. They're expecting really high-paying jobs, crazy amounts of credit, but at the end of the day, guess what? Those people are going and buying stuff. They're not renting, so it doesn't make much sense to me. I think there's always gonna be a balance here, and I get it. You, you should definitely always, uh, as a listing agent, be uh, working for your landlord and making sure that we get good people because at the end of the day, as I've mentioned before, tenants do have a lot of rights. And if you end up with a bad apple, uh, it can be tough to get them out. Um, the other news on that note is that they've brought in a task force. The landlord tenant board now has been upgraded so that these bad apples that I was mentioning, whether it's not paying rent or trashing units, any lawful reason for evicting a tenant is now uh, where they had to wait months before, especially in the pandemic when there's a huge delay and a lot of uh, landlords were hurting in certain situations. Now there is an expedited process. So a lot more protection for landlords as well. So we're all just trying to make sure that the landlords are good and the tenants are good. Um, you know, that being said, on the tenant side, I'm always trying to vouch, hey, vouch for my tenant. What about your landlord? Are they a good landlord? If a repair has to happen, are they gonna come in on time? Um, you know, how have they left the place? Um, I think it's super, super important. It's really easy to get caught up on, yeah, don't worry, my tenant's the best, and it's all about how good or how amazing the tenant is, rather than like, let's try and level the, the playing field here. How How is your landlord? I think it's super, super important. The other thing we're seeing in this, uh, a more of a landlord-focused market is these multiple months extra upfront. Now, legally speaking, you would, not allowed as a landlord or a listing agent to ask for multiple months extra upfront. This has just become more commonplace and not quite an expectation is it is just a usual way of doing business these days. In, in my opinion, it does make sense if you are new to Canada, if you do not have job, if you don't have rental history, if you don't have credit history, how is the landlord or the listing agent that is vetting you able to determine that you can make rent, especially as I mentioned with all these kind of horror stories that are going around from time to time. So they're trying to be extra careful. I think, um, as I said, multiple months extra upfront does make sense for new Canadians. It's a way of, especially if it's a short term, hey, I'm only here for six months, I'm passing through, pay you six months upfront. I know that's a lot of money, um, you're gonna pay it anyways. So it's really just a pay me now, pay me later kind of deal. 
Um, unless you're a serious investor and you have wild uh, yields on your short-term investments. Other otherwise, it's not gonna really cost you money. Outside of short-term rentals, again, your first rental, if you're a new Canadian, is gonna be your hardest. I've done it before, um, and now in 2023, it's much, much harder than it ever was before. And this is a good way just to satisfy the landlord and also just give them some comfort knowing that you don't have to really check all my credentials because I've given you most of the rent up front. Now this can range from a couple of months extra, which is what I usually suggest for people in this situation, all the way up to maybe international students that are kind of coming in and coming out up to like 12 months rent. Again, this is a lot of money um, and it's, it's really unrealistic to expect everyone to be able to do this. Um, but it does work and it does help in certain situations. Now, all of this to say that it is a very frustrating and tiring situation and process for not only the tenant and the tenant's agent, but also uh, the listing agent, because they're getting hundreds of calls in the peak of the market. We have, I had agents that were turning off their phones. They weren't even able to get to their emails because of how many people and, you know, in a lot of cases, the people offering or the people inquiring aren't always in the best situations. I myself um, advertise privately as well as um, on, on the usual um, circuits of MLS, etc. And myself, I really have to heavily vet some of these tenants that are coming through, whether they're unorganized or unrealistic or just plain don't get back to me either. So yes, there are listing agents that um, can be not as efficient with renters and rentals as they should be. Maybe they're tied up in sales. Um, maybe uh, they're just busy as it is, uh, but it also goes on the tenants as well to, to filter through. And when you're getting a hundred calls a day, it can be tough for anyone, whether you have no listings and nothing else going on, or whether you have you know a few listings or more, it can be really, really tough. So it's always worth keeping that in mind that try and be as courteous as possible and uh, just be realistic of, of how things are going. Now, these next things are a tenant's must. Your number one thing you have to be to be able to operate in a tough landlord market is you have to be organized. I had a couple of clients. Now I tend to get clients from Australia. I'm in those circuits. And fortunately, a lot of the guys that I get come through, they're highly organized. Number one, they're super nice people. Very communicative, that's super important for me. Um, that's more important than anything that's on paper, really. And being organized, now, when I say organized, I mean getting stuff sorted before you get here. There are things that you can only do when you get here, such as um, opening up a bank account, getting getting a phone, because those things, by the way, start generating credit for you. And that's the one of the main things that's going against you. Um, have your employment in order. Whether you have current employment from back home in rare cases, or you have a new job here in Toronto and you're moving here, or you just plan on moving uh, here and getting a job, uh, make sure you have the funds to back that up. There are different ways that you can kind of vet. The most simple way is employment letters, pay stubs, credit report, Canadian credit report, and the rental application. Um, but of course, new Canadians don't always have 
the ability to have these things. So you can show stuff like, um, and I always say redacted um, bank statements because you, you don't really, they don't really need to see everything other than just a proof of funds. Do you have the money? I have to mention here, there has also been a rise in fraudulent papers and fraudulent documents. So now it's another added layer of um, protection for listing agents and their landlords where I've heard stories, fortunately, I've never had anyone, but people fraudulently making up employment letters or bank statements or pay stubs, anything really to secure places. And um, it's really it's really worrying. And it just means that not only is a listing agent to, to vet these people, but also me when I'm trying to deal with people I haven't met before, um, trying to vet them, I really have to be careful and watch out that people are who they say they are. For me, I obviously have my own process, but it basically involves um, the communication style, reading off of that, and then going to meet them for the first time. I'll definitely take a showing kit, even if it doesn't work out, just to meet people and chat to them and get, get the vibe and get the energy. Um, this is something I also do on the listing side for my landlords. You can see everything on paper, it can all look fantastic, but at the end of the day, meeting people and feeling the energy and just seeing their mannerisms and seeing how they, uh, you know, converse is, is volumes. It speaks volumes in terms of someone's character. The next bit of advice for tenants is to play the numbers game. You have to play the numbers game. Now, it's really unfortunate that you have to do it sometimes. As I said, some tenants are settling for places. They're not quite getting everything they wanted. Um, maybe this comes down to manage expectations as well, which is part of my job, but it's realistic and it's advised to not only, you know, narrow down and focus on the area and the type of property you want to rent, but also have plenty of backup options. Um, as I mentioned, there are plenty of times when we've seen the one and it's, and we're going out to see it the next day and it rents. So it's definitely important to have kind of that backup and don't get defeated. It's very easy to offer on a place and get knocked back and feel like it's a personal insult. In most cases, it's not personal. It's just what's on paper. Again, these people are getting multiple offers. Maybe they just wanted to deal with the first person that they thought was nice. Maybe they were already dealing with someone and they're getting hundreds of calls and they just want to be done with it. There are many different scenarios and situations, but please don't take it personally. Keep going. It's very easy to stop and that's how the wrong thing to do. Um, keep going at it and in, in certain circumstances, you may have to offer and get knocked back on two, three or even more properties. So it's important to keep, keep the chin up and this is part of my job as well as is keeping them engaged, uh, keeping my tenants engaged and keeping them caring, especially if they really had their heart set on a place and it didn't work out. Having that fortitude and, and being able to just get on with it. Um, of course, the last note I have here is just using a realtor that cares. It is so easy to call up a realtor um, in, in regards to rent and I can guarantee you that at least 50% of them won't even get back to you, especially when it's super, super busy. Unfortunately, um, there are a lot of realtors out there that don't really care about rentals. In some instances, they did pre-construction for that client 
And as a promise, they said they would rent it when it would become rentable. And in some cases, they're actually doing it for free because of that. Um, so some renters, for whatever reason, just don't care or they're too busy or a combination of the both. So always get a realtor that actually cares and one that's actually going to move at the pace of the market. I don't take anyone on as a tenant unless I have the time, the patience and the effort to do it because otherwise I'm just doing them a disservice. I had to turn off at one point my uh, my kind of lead capture for new tenants because it was just getting overwhelming and I was just going to be doing them a disservice. Um, I deal, you know, I, I do highly prioritize referrals and repeat clients for sure. But in terms of people I haven't worked with before, I have to actually just turn them off at some point um, if I can't service them properly. Um, you really, as I said, it doesn't make sense to use a realtor that's busy or that can't get there within a few days to a property. You have to be quick, even in some circumstances, seeing a property that day is the difference between either getting it or not as I've kind of explained before. So these are all the things that tenants have to think about. This is what the landlord market looks like. As I said, it's not really that nice for either side. It's maybe a little bit nicer for landlords that have the ability to choose uh, between multiple offers and they end up with the best person that they like and that they like on paper. But you know, at the end of the day, it can be tough and, uh, and tiring for both sides. Now. There are all the problems. What are the solutions? What are the solutions? Well, I'm going to say this. It may be controversial. Don't cancel me for this, but make millennial sacrifices. I've got millennial in advertent commas. It is so easy these days in your 20s and 30s to get carried away with the latest TikTok trend. I get it. We're living in a very dynamic, interesting future, and there are a lot of shiny things a lot of subscriptions you can spend your money on. Um, I get it. Um, we are definitely correcting for a lot of things, which is due. Um, in my opinion, some things are overcorrecting, but borrow a little bit of Gen X and a little bit of boomer mentality. Some of this stuff, you can make some sacrifices, okay? Because what that'll mean, maybe you get a better place because you've been saving. As I said, maybe you need that extra couple of months rent up front to get the place. Now, it's worth saying that these markets don't sustain, but I'm telling you, it was sustaining for about a year. We are starting to slow down now. I think it's going to pick up again in September, potentially. We will see. But all these little sacrifices you can make along the way that you don't go to that brand new sushi restaurant uh, downtown and spend the 200 odd dollars per person or buy this or that from from online, it, it really, you know, <laughs> don't come for me guys, but it really makes sense to just stop and think like, do an audit on yourself. Like what, what do I really need to be putting my money into now? And I'll get to the main point I'm trying to make here, which is consider buying your first home, but not everyone's in that position. It's important to make the little steps now, whether it's a month away, or a year away or five or 10 years away from buying, it's really important to, to be lean when you're renting because if you keep moving around prices, you're just gonna keep um, inheriting the new higher prices, especially if they keep going up. If you were to just say, hey, you know what? This place isn't perfect, but, and I can make it work for the next year, two year, 
Um, I know that my rent isn't only going to go up just maybe 2%, 1%, whatever it may be per year. And it's not exactly what I want or it's not exactly what I picture for myself, but it works for now. And that extra three or $400 a month I'm going to save from not moving uh, is going to add up and I'm going to put it away and I'm going to put it towards, uh, you know, maybe travel down the line or any other kind of purchase, maybe buying your first car, um, those things kind of down the line. In saying that, prices obviously will in the long run rise. I mean, we're talking when I first moved here in 2013 of <laughs> prices $1,100 for a nice, decent size one, one bedroom, 12, 13, $1,500. We've seen a constant, even with these ups and downs, we've seen a constant increase kind of long-term. So maybe moving now, if you if you just need to make that move for whatever reason, in some cases, the landlord is selling their home um, and, and they're asking you to leave, um, it may be worth, even with the new price, to just make that next move and always be thinking, I would say in rentals, be thinking at least two years ahead. What does my next two years look like? What's the goal? What are my... What, what do I want to achieve? Um, because locking into a new place now, you know, will probably save you money in the long run, especially three to five years when, when prices keep, keep rising. As said, your other option is to wait and save. Okay, take the hit. The other option you could do is consider moving further out. Um, you will get more bang for your buck. And I'm not talking moving out to, you know, Oshawa um, or Hamilton or you know East Gwillimbury, Barry, these kind of quite far out places. Maybe you do want to move out there, and you will definitely get more bang for your buck. Um, but even just further out in the GTA, along the transport hubs. Now, I, I, coming from Sydney, this was always normalized. It was funny because I had my regular friends, and then there were my city friends. And when I first came here, I just thought it was strange, personally, that people wanted to live right downtown. I mean, I'm not a city guy, so maybe that's why. Um, I was happy living in Midtown because it was I was able to still get to everything when I wanted to, but without kind of having to live all amongst the jungle. I would say in the next two years, at the very least, it's going to become more and more normal to live further out in the GTA. Mississauga, Vaughan, Markham, Ajax, Pickering, uh, it's going to become way more normal to do this. And as I said, it's definitely worth thinking. Now we're thinking that two years ahead to maybe pick a ghost station. I can jump on the go from Maple and my friends joke about bringing their passports out here from the city. By the way, it's half an hour in good traffic, an hour and a half in bad traffic, but to drive. But I can take a go train. 35 minutes, I'm at Union Station. Now, how bad is that? It's really not. Um, a 45 minute commute is pretty normal. A 30 commute is pretty good. Uh, again, moving out, you're not, not only gonna get more space, you're just gonna get a more relaxed a relaxed, a relaxed community. You know, obviously whatever you're into, whatever trade-offs that you see for your kind of lifestyle that you want, uh, but it's definitely worth thinking about maybe moving out. Uh, the other solution is to consider, and this is a pretty good one, consider sharing a two bedroom. Now I get it, not everyone wants to live with someone else. Uh, maybe it's with family, maybe it's with a good friend. Consider this, you're paying on average $2,500 for a one bedroom, right? 
okay, fine. You have your complete and utter isolation. You have your own space and I, and I get all of that, your independence. Maybe you take a one year hit or two year hit to get in front, but sharing a two bedroom now with someone else, you were both by yourself paying 2,500 each, which is five grand a month. You're now, you know, getting a place maybe for 3,000, 3,500 um, for a slightly nicer place. And now you're splitting 1350 each. Now we're going back to 20, 2015 days of rent. That makes sense. Again, you are giving up some liberties, some a, a little bit of freedom um, and independence, but it really, if you set a timeline on it, I think it's the best way to go. It's not forever, it's for right now. It's like I say with any job, whether you're working um, retail or at a grocery store or fast food, you know, this job ain't gonna be forever and you're gonna use it as a stepping stone. Um, that's what, that's the way you should be thinking about it in, in getting a two bedroom or even a three bedroom. Um, for that matter. I will tell you that in the condo game, two bedrooms definitely, uh, for this very reason, did get uh, a lot busier, but uh, two and three bedrooms aren't as crazy busy as say studios or one bedrooms. So it's worth just considering that. Um, the last solution that I have here is, well, don't complain. It's really, really easy to look at the, the media articles and the posts online and get really, into your feelings and just complaining. Oh, it's unfair. You know, it is unfair for sure. I, I hear you on that, but the real estate game, whether it's sales or whether it's leases, it's gonna move with or without you. It doesn't care about your feelings. It's gonna keep marching on. And the reality is that Toronto is a world city now, a world-class city. We're getting there. The infrastructure's catching up and the population is catching up. But let me tell you, people are coming here and there's a reason people are coming here. And I know it's a bit of a, a shock, especially if you kind of have lived here your whole life and you're not used to such rapid change because really the exponential change that we've seen in the last like eight years, let's call it, or even the last three years is just such a different pace to anything we've ever seen before. So again, it's very easy to complain and maybe swear at the mirror once and then just get over it. Keep moving because no one's gonna wait around for you. The other option is, as I was saying before, or I'm juicing up to it, consider buying your first property. The prices that we're seeing now, the 2,500 bucks a month plus, now it is making more and more sense to own your own place, okay? even if it means buying outside of the city. Listen to the advice I'm about to tell you. I heard it one time and it completely changed my life, my whole mentality on this. You don't have to live in what you own. Think about that. Think about that. The way I used to think, especially living in Sydney, because remember, and, I, and I've said this many times before, everything basically that happened in Sydney is happening now in 10 years in the past. So in a, in a weird way, I've been able to see some market trends because they are fairly comparable. And I used to think, I'm never gonna buy something. A million dollars, when I was living in Sydney, a million dollars for, how am I gonna ever get? Oh, whatever, you know what? I can just rent forever, that's fine. I don't know, how am I ever gonna do it? But no one was able to ever break this down for me. My parents were making money moves we used to move a lot and I didn't really understand why, but now I do. 
They were making money every single move. They were building equity and all of that stuff. We, we started in very humble beginnings and, and we worked our way up. I'm asking for you to do the same for yourself and set yourself up. Again, remember this, you don't have to live in what you own. What a crazy concept. I can't buy anything in Toronto. Fine, I believe you. It's half a million dollars for entry level property in Toronto. You know, the market was amazing in November and December and I was telling everyone to buy. Some people listened to me, some people didn't. But now I have some buyers that are looking now and it's a little bit tougher. Your alternative is to buy somewhere in Kitchener, Waterloo, for example. It doesn't even have to be Ontario. Um, of course, I always recommend the closer to the GTA you can get, the better. You know, think of it like a blue chip investment. You know, there's always going to be growth here. Um, other areas I can't confirm. There's definitely been growth in in Halifax, in Calgary, um, plenty of areas that are growing. Um, none more so than the GTA. It's always going to be your blue chip investment. And whether you buy it close to the GTA and you say, you know what, I would never live there. Fine. Don't live there. Continue renting where you're renting. That's completely fine. Buy the place. Get your first time home buyer grant. Pay your maintenance fees, do your monthly calculations, talk to the, the mortgage broker and work out what you can own. And then talk to me and be like, hey, this is kind of what the carry's gonna be. Um, what can I get it rented for if I was to buy it? And I'll tell you, hey, you know what? You can actually make a little bit of money on this or it's gonna be about even or you're gonna have to carry it for three or $400. I've done this recently. I was doing it in November and December. I'm like, hey, you know what? Prices have come down. You can actually, as long as you eat this interest rate, which that's the other thing, interest rates are high right now. Okay, eat that for a year. Get a two-year rate. Okay, yes, it's going to suck for two years. Again, I'm talking about making sacrifices. But after the two years, interest rates are, are projected to drop. Now, all of a sudden, you, you, can, you can renew or refinance. And now, all of a sudden, you're making a little bit of money on property. And guess what? Every month that you're able to make that mortgage payment, it's money going into practically your own pocket because you're building your own equity. And this money is not going to a landlord by itself exclusively. So, and, and of course you're gonna be riding with the market. Now I, on this note, personally see the prediction for the next year, six months to a year, we have seen the amount the, the record amount of immigrants coming to this country, okay? And their renters, but guess what's gonna be happening in a year's time? They now have credit. They now have established jobs. They now have rental histories. They are now able to get into, whether they, they're by themselves or whether family, existing family that's here is helping them or whether they move with family. These people are figuring it out and they're seeing it for what it is and they're trying to find a way to get in. I see this all the time. I was speaking to a gentleman yesterday. He's gonna rent his place out. He moved here 2008, the worst time, but guess what? He hustled and now he owns a beautiful property and now he's gonna rent it out and buy another. This is, this is how you gotta do it. Again, don't let the market fly past you. You have to find a way to get in. And again, not everyone's gonna be in a position to do this. It is very normalized to ask family for help. It is very normalized to say, hey, listen, can I, I know, you know, can I borrow a little bit of money? Can I, I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to get into this place. And maybe it means that you have to buy a little further out than you're expecting to, but stay where you are, live wherever the hell you want and live the lifestyle that you want 
albeit with, with a few more sacrifices made in expenses, but get into the market. I was telling people to buy in Kitchener Waterloo, a beautiful two bedroom, 700 square foot with parking unit was selling for $350,000. Now selling for about 550, 600, depending on where it is. But that's $200,000 in equity. And that was a change of about two to three years. I think I was saying that in the pandemic. Now, we are seeing very artificial markets. And what I mean by that is huge outside influences. These are kind of exceptional markets, one-offs. And things aren't going to swing as much as that. But there are still a lot of emerging areas that are still undervalued, in my opinion. That in the future, even, even if... You were to buy something and it would, wouldn't go up in value. Maybe it goes down and then comes back up. Even if you ended up even on your investment, you are still paying into your equity. You know, the, the amortization schedule is showing how much interest you're paying at the start and, and how much principal you're paying into it. Now, the interest goes to the lender. Fine. You never see that again. But the principal is what the equity is going into into your home. And over time, over 25 or 30 years of this schedule, you are increasingly paying more and more principal into your home. And although the renewal process and refinancial process is three to five years, the point still remains. This is all a long-term thing and it is worth getting into it sooner than later. Because what do I always say, guys? There, are, there is one constant in all of this and the question is, is there one more person going to be living in the GTA tomorrow than there was today? Well, we know that there is. In fact, there's 1 million people coming to Canada and about half of that is coming to Ontario um, and, and most of that going to Toronto. So something to consider, something to think about. To summarize, these markets, these, these tough rental markets won't, won't last forever. Um, it's important if you're in one to understand your moves and if you have to move, how to operate. And of course, I'm going to help you along the way. If you have any questions, reach out Hickson Real Estate Team at gmail.com or hit us up on the, the socials. Um, I'm always here to talk, please. Even if you're not thinking about moving, hey, what would be a good move in six months time? Hey, what would be a good move in 12 months time? Let me know. And of course, when it comes to first time home buying, that is something that you have to look even further out. The mistake people made in the pandemic was not thinking two or three or four years ahead. And that is always the thing to be doing when, when it comes to real estate. It's always a future move, especially buying and selling. You're not flippers. I mean, some of you are, but hey, there's a new flipping tax and it's becoming way less lucrative than it ever, ever was. So there's gonna be less flippers in the GTA which I think is a good thing for inventory. But guys, always be planning ahead and always ask for help. <laughs> it's a huge thing that parents just didn't really teach us this thing about real estate. They just found a place to live in the 80s and, I, and that's just what it was. But now it has completely changed and it is so important to be so informed. And there's a lot of uh, resources out there that you can go and research on your own. But as always, reach out. I'm always talking real estate. Jess is always talking real estate. And this is not just 
transactions. This is your life. This is my life. This is people's lives and lifestyles. And it is extremely important to be looking ahead and making smart moves. Guys, I've been talking way too much. Thanks for hanging with me if you've reached this point. And I promise next time Jess is going to be back on. We're going to be bringing you some more guests soon. And we're going to be keep going in 2023. I'll speak to you guys soon. Bye.